Well, good morning, family. It is so wonderful to see your beautiful faces this morning. And I want to take a minute to look right in that camera and welcome everyone online. You guys are awesome. Hey, that's family on the other side of the camera that maybe just want to play it more safe and stay at home or they didn't get registered. Can we welcome those that are watching online right now? They're one of us. We love you guys, even though you're at home. Well, hey, I'm excited because we're wrapping up a teaching series. I get excited for every teaching series. It's just who I am, who God created me. And I'm excited because in two weeks, we're also getting into a brand new series. Ryan, that's two weeks. We're wrapping up one this week. What's next week? Well, next week, we're going to have a, a lot of time of just praying for our nation as there's a big, like, election that's happening soon. Uh, I'm not going to get political on stage, but I will say I'm going to lead you in certain prayers for this nation. Does that sound good? All right, good. Half of you are with me. Go team. All right. Hey, so that's next week. Next week we're going to celebrate communion too, okay? So we're going to celebrate communion together. We're going to have a good time together. But um, I think more than ever, our nation needs a revival, and it's going to start with followers of Jesus. And um, if our nation ever sees a revival, it's because followers of Jesus have scuffed knees because we're praying for this nation. And that's where it's going to start. So next week, we're going to be praying. We're going to be praying for whoever is in the White House. We're going to, we're going to make sure that they're prayed up before they enter the White House, okay? So, hey, but that's next week. In two weeks, we're going to jump into Holy Spirit series because there's a lot of, like, issues with Holy Spirit. Uh, a lot of bad doctrine out there with Holy Spirit. And we want to get back to the biblical roots of what is the presence of God? What is this Holy Spirit? Right? Jesus told his disciples, hey, I have to leave you. And they're like, why do you have to leave us? Because there is something more powerful that's going to happen. I'm going to leave you with my presence. i got to go back to the Father. And we know the Holy Spirit comes. And for a lot of us, maybe because of our background, Holy Spirit's kind of scary. Um, I will say, man, as I'm getting more rooted into Jesus, I'm understanding the Holy Spirit more. And what we want to do is take maybe the bad experiences many of you have had with Holy Spirit and try to massage that away. And for us that have never heard Holy Spirit, we're going to try to bring you back into some biblical grounding. Because you and I as Christ followers, who dwells within us? Holy Spirit dwells in us. So who is the person that's inside of us? I know the salvation prayer, if you were little, right, you asked Jesus into your heart. It's not Jesus, all right? It's the Holy Spirit that's in you. I know, I just threw out crazy theology right there. They're like, what? I, I was a kid's pastor, remember? It's really fun to draw that line of like, because they're always like, hey, how can a guy get into my heart? Try explaining that to a kid. Well, it's a little Jesus that gets inside of there. Like, how do you explain it? It's hard to explain that to kids sometimes. So we're going to get rooted in the foundation of, man, being marked by the presence of God. And I'm looking forward to it. And uh, we're going to learn a lot. So if you're a note taker, you're going to really want to bring notes. And I'm learning. I'm growing. I'm going to make mistakes. But we want to just get the misunderstanding out of here and just go back to what, is, what does God say about the person of the Trinity, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What is, what is all that? Does that sound good, friends? <laughs> Again, now we're only down to 25% of the team with me. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and say you're beautiful, if it's appropriate. <laughs> Turn to another neighbor and say, buckle up. Ah, <laughs> uh, See, you're more responsive to that than you are to me. See, I got 25% of the team following. Here we go. Hey, I'm ready. I love you guys. Let's jump in. Uh, to this morning, because we are wrapping up the series, Rooted. I want to take you to Traverse City. How many of you have been to Traverse City before? 
Yeah, how about this? How many of you have been during like the 1st of July when the Cherry Festival's going? Anyone made it up there? Good for you guys. I mean, Traverse City is one of the most, I think, beautiful places we have in our state here in Michigan. And what's unique about Traverse City is that it is the perfect climate for cherry trees. They have long springs, dry summers, and very cool falls. And that is the perfect environment for cherry trees to blossom and grow. Did you, know that, did you know that they think there are approximately 2.6 million cherry trees in Traverse City? As a lot of trees. But that is the perfect environment for a cherry tree to grow. Now, if I were to take you to California right now and we go to Napa Valley, California, what is Napa Valley, California known for? Their grapes in their vineyards, right? Napa Valley is the perfect climate or environment for grapes and vineyards to grow in. Now, we're going to take another road trip, and we're going to a state that most of us try to avoid. It's Idaho, all right? Southeast Idaho. What do you think? What is known in Southeast Idaho? Potatoes, right? Potatoes in that environment, particularly in Southeast Idaho, is just prime for that crop. Certain environments will produce certain crops. Now, one more road trip, and this is a state that you can try to sleep through on your way through Nebraska. Southern or Eastern Nebraska is known for what, friends? The corn. Nebraska's, I don't know if you've ever been through Nebraska. It may not be the most exciting state. We still love you, Nebraska, but it's one of those snoozer states while you're traveling down the highway. But certain environments produce certain types of crops. Orange trees. Do not grow good in the UP of Michigan. That's no bueno. Also, tomato plants will do horrible in a dense, damp forest. But you know what will grow wonderful in a damp, dense forest? Mushrooms, right? Certain crops thrive and grow in certain environments. The same is true for you this morning as a follower of Jesus, that we got to get rooted in three powerful environments that will help us look more like Jesus Christ. And we've looked at these three power environments, the row, the circle, and the chair. Let me do a quick review. The row, this is what you and I know right now we sit in, and we hope we worship together and have a wonderful time being ushered into the presence of God. We hope that we get something out of Ryan's teaching, right, that will transform our Monday morning, Monday through next Sunday, that we will actually put it into practice. We took two weeks of understanding the circle, in fact, Jesus set that example. He had 12 disciples, 12 guys that he chose from a group of disciples that followed him as a rabbi, but chose 12 to do life together. And then within the 12, Jesus chose three of those to do another circle with, to do more intimate training and understanding the way of Jesus. But the circle is highly relational. It's where the row is where I speak to everyone, but the circle is where you speak to one another, where we one another very well. And this morning, I want to land on to me. I think it's the most, one of the most, if not the most powerful environment, but I think it's the most neglected environment for a follower of Jesus, and that's the chair. The chair is a powerful space where you meet the creator of the universe every single day, where you can cancel out the noise of life and just say, I need to hear from you, God. 
Remember what the goal is. And entertain me. We've been doing this several times throughout the last three weeks. The goal of every environment is to, three words, let's say it together. Be like Christ. That's the way. Just as cherry trees thrive in Traverse City or grapes thrive in Napa Valley, California, you and I can thrive in the row, the circle, and the chair. In fact, this is one of the reasons why I love the chair because this is where God does heart work in my life. This is where, in fact, Jesus' own words found in Luke chapter 6, for the mouth speaks of what the heart is full of. This is the environment where I ask God to change what's going on inside of me. That I don't look like you right now, Jesus. And I need a heart work. In our culture today, you know what we say? We don't call someone mean-worded. We call them mean what? Spirited. Why? Because the heart speaks, or the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Because it's an overflow of what's going on inside. And this is an environment where I come every single morning and sit there and say, God, I need more of you and less of me because I'm going to people today. And if I don't look like you, it won't go well. I need more of you to do a heart work inside of me. So this morning, as we wrap up this series and we're going to talk about the chair, I'm going to have two conversations with you. Conversation number one, three powerful elements to the chair. Conversation number two, the mechanics of what the chair can look like in your life. So conversation number one, we have to jump into a story of Jesus because he sets the example. I want to take you back to the ancient world, and I want to show you a quick map of Israel. Now, you got the Dead Sea to the south, and I should have drawn for you the Jordan River that connects the two seas. But you have up north, you have the Sea of Galilee, and you have a city called Capernaum. Capernaum is where Jesus spent 80% of his ministry was around the Sea of Galilee. Jesus' home base for his ministry, for the three and a half years of ministry, was right here in Capernaum. Now, what do we know about Jesus? Jesus was born in the town of what, friends? All right. Let's talk about a Christmas carol. Oh, little town of? Ah, see, now we got it. All right. So, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, right? Christmas story. Jesus was raised in, in a city, and Jesus was Jesus of Nazareth. I, I know, I, it's hard to put you all on the spot. I realize that. You're like, oh no, if I get a Bible trivia wrong in, in church, what am I? It's all right. So Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He was raised in the city of Nazareth, but when he became around the ages of 29 and 30, moved up to here to Capernaum and did his 80% of his ministry right here, but his home base was right there. This story picks up in Mark chapter 1, where Jesus is here doing amazing things. In fact, he teaches, he's going around and teaching in the Jewish synagogues. He's doing the row, if you will. And here is um, an actual, I was here Five and a half years ago in Capernaum, and I took this shot. This is an ancient Jewish synagogue right there in the city of Capernaum. Is this the exact synagogue that Jesus taught in? No. This is a third century synagogue, and what they did was they built it upon the existing foundation of the synagogue that Jesus would have taught in. So if you go there and you go to the outside, you'll see a darker layer of brick or of stone down there. And that is the first century synagogue that ended up being destroyed or fell down. And they built a third century synagogue on top of it. 
But it's amazing to come and sit here and realize, wow, this is where Jesus would have done a lot of his teachings, is right here in this moment. And when we jump into the story of Mark chapter 1, we're going to realize that Jesus' popularity, it's skyrocketing. Like he's doing amazing miracles and people are like, we want to know this Jewish rabbi named Jesus. Mark chapter 1 verse 28, it reads this way. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Skyrocketing popularity. People realize that this Jesus is a healer and they're bringing the sick to him. They're bringing the demon possessed to him and realizing, wow, he can do a miracle. And that's what we want from him. Verse, 30, uh, verse 32 says this, that evening after sunset, the people brought Jesus all the sick and demon possessed. They're realizing this rabbi has authority over sickness and demons. There is something different about this rabbi than all the other Jewish rabbis. And the story continues. The whole town gathered at the door. Stop there. The whole town. Can you imagine that? The entire town is on your doorsteps. How many of you would say, get away from me? <laughs> Yet, watch this. Jesus ended up healing many who had various diseases, and he drove out many demons. Would you not, if you had a sick child, they didn't have the technology and the medical technology that we do today, but would you not, if your own son or daughter was sick, do everything you could to reach to this Jesus that you know is healing people? You would do everything in your power to get him or her to him. And that's what everyone's doing. Jesus' healing ministry is skyrocketing. After he heals many people, Jesus is going to go take a nap and go to sleep at night. And then we pick up in verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. This is the very first powerful element of the chair. Now, we, Jesus didn't call it the chair. He didn't have something like this, but you'll get the principle. He got away. He got away to a solitary place. Principle number one, powerful element, is the chair. There has to be solitude. Solitude. Where you can get up and cut off the noise of this world and hear from God. Solitude. Now check out what Jesus says. We're going to jump back in real quick. Watch, watch this. Very early. How early? We don't know, but it was very early. How early, Ryan? I don't know, but it was still dark. Was it 2, 3, 4, 5 a.m.? I, I don't know. But it was dark and it was early. And what did Jesus have to do? He had to just go off and get time alone with God. Powerful element to the chair is solitude. Where you and I can cut off the noise of this world and hear from our creator, our heavenly father. Now I know for some of you it's easier right now. Maybe you're an empty nester, maybe your kids are teenagers, and you can be like, I can find like 10 minutes of quiet, 15 minutes, half hour of quiet, and you're awesome, you're nailing it. Others, you're like, Ryan, I got young family, and all I hear every single moment of my life is mom, 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 mom. I can't even get three minutes of quiet in the bathroom because I see little fingers coming under the door, and I hear mom, 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 mom. Solitude? Are you kidding me, Ryan? Can you get 15 minutes away to the coffee shop? Can you get 15 minutes away in a closet or an empty room in your house? And yes, sometimes you may have to hide in the closet to get solitude. 
Is there any space in your life where you can carve out and say, there's absolutely silence from the world? And it's just you and me, God. There's a danger for you and I. The danger is this thing. This is not just a phone anymore. This is your email. This is your social media. This is your TV. This is you fill in the blank. This is a problem to our quiet time, to solitude. So I'm going to help you out with this. Here's what you do. You take an envelope. You put your phone in the envelope. You seal the envelope. You get it here. Now the envelope's sealed. You're not done. You take a stapler now to the envelope and staple it shut. You get done with the stapler, you're still not done. You grab a box. You put your phone in the box and then you tape the box up with some tape because you will open it because that thing will go off and you're wondering, oh, what is it? And then once it's all taped and good, you throw it. (laughs) Says a parent. (laughs) The enemy to uninterrupted time with God is interrupted time with God. You have to do everything in your power to make sure it's me and God. I've learned, I used to take that thing with me into my quiet times, ding, ding, and I'm always like, oh, what is this happening now? Every time that thing dinged. Ryan, just turn off notifications, turn off the timer, or turn off the ringer. I have tried that. The problem is there's some evil gravitational pull to the phone. I can't describe it. There's something there. So I, my chair is in my home office where I come and sit every single day for 45 minutes to an hour in the morning, and I purposely leave my phone in the living room. Text messages can wait. Emails can wait. But I want to hear from God first and foremost before I even look and respond to a text message because I want to make sure I'm responding like Jesus. Because I'm afraid if I don't and my heart is not right in the morning, I won't look like Jesus. And God, you have to do a work inside of me to get my heart right to look like you more. There's a second thing that Jesus did, a powerful element to the chair. And it's this word consistency. Say it with me. It's consistency. Time and time again, Jesus did something powerful and set the example for you and I. It's found in Luke. Luke writes this. And Luke, I'm sorry, Luke 5, chapter 16. But Jesus, let's read these two words together. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. If Jesus needed to do it often, how much more do you and I need to do it often? If you are going to develop a new behavior or pattern in your life, reading the Bible tomorrow morning for 15 minutes won't do a whole lot for you. What will transform you is doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. If you are going to exercise, you can't go and exercise for one day and say, I'm fit now. If you are going to say, I need to eat better and start dieting, you can't go and say, look, I ate an apple, I'm dieting and eating better now. It's consistency. It's a pattern over and over and over and over again. What does that look like for you to begin small? For some of us, you're like, Ryan, I I don't even do this yet. What does it look like to say, my goal this week is twice a week? 
Maybe a goal, a great end goal will be four times a week. Whatever, I'm just asking for you to start somewhere. If you aren't anywhere, and if you are somewhere, what does it look like to increase it by one more time a week? What does it look like for you to begin to be consistent, to get away in silence and hear from your heavenly Father? What does it look like? Consistency, consistency. Now we're going to jump back into the story, and I think this is a story that the disciples will probably, they'll remember the day that this is the day we felt like Jesus disappeared on us. Remember, Jesus got away to a solitary place, and now he's praying to his heavenly Father. And all of a sudden, the disciples get up, and they're going to send a search team out. Where is Jesus? And it begins this way. Simon, who we know, this is Peter, and his companions, meaning the disciples, went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. And Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Jesus got away and realized something. My healing ministry is in my, in my way of my public, uh, my, my preaching ministry. They're colliding. They should complement each other. But Jesus can't preach because he says everyone's coming. And when Jesus does a healing, he says, hey, by the way, don't go tell anyone because I still got to preach. And if the crowds are just crashing all to me, I can't preach because everyone just wants to get healed. And that's why he all of a sudden, Jesus says, I can't do this anymore. I can't heal you because you guys are blabbering and being disobedient when I tell you don't go share. What did Jesus find here? Jesus got away from the crowd after doing healing and he realized, I've come to preach the gospel message that I'm here to save this world. That is why I've come. What did Jesus find in his chair moment? Jesus found direction. He understood something here. That there was power here. This is where you and I will realize in this world, what is our, we will find our purpose and direction many times in this, in this environment. To get away in solitude, but consistency to sit there and go, God, what's happening in my heart? God, I have a decision to make, and I don't know what right choice to make. Will you help me? I want to show you this picture. Anyone know what bridge this is? This is the Brooklyn Bridge. The Brooklyn Bridge connects Brooklyn to Manhattan, built in the 1870s. There's a great book that I started reading. It's called Building Below the Waterline by Gordon MacDonald, Strengthening the Life of a Leader, and it opens up with this illustration of the Brooklyn Bridge. Built in the 1870s, it's about 140 years old. They built the Brooklyn Tower first, and then winter hit. As, as winter hit, they were working on the Manhattan Tower. But month after month after month went by, and to everyone as a New Yorker, it felt like no progress was being made. They weren't seeing something like the Brooklyn Tower. So they were getting upset. They're like, what's going on? So the chief engineer had to change the perspective of the entire New Yorker's uh, feel and understanding. What the chief engineer came out and said is to the public, you guys don't realize but there is as much brick and concrete work that you see in the Brooklyn Tower underneath the water line. And then everyone says, oh, we got it. 
He says, the key to the tower that you see is the foundation below where you don't see. If there's a collapse in the public world, it's because often there's a fracture in the private world. These are the moments in the chair for me where I say, God, if there's a fracture inside of here, I need you and I need you to heal it because I don't want to collapse. These are the moments that, church, you don't see that God's doing a work inside of me. This is the building below the waterline for me. And you need it, and I need it, because storms of life are coming. And what will be your foundation if you don't build below the waterline? I love this quote by Pastor Timothy Keller, because this is oftentimes where God, there may be a fracture inside of me, but God twists it, and I'm like, I don't like it, it's painful, I don't want that, but God uses it. And I may be in my quiet time reading God's word, and I'm like, I don't know, God, do I really agree with that? And God reminds me that it is his truth that we found out are, are based on, and not my feelings. And Timothy Keller says this, here's the quote. If your God never disagrees with you, you might be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. Let that sit in. Let that sit in. This is the moment where I get direction. These are the moments in the environment that God uses me to realize, Ryan, lay down yourself and let me be king and king and Lord of lords. Here's what I would tell you. The mark of a God-changed heart the mark of a God-changed heart is that I like telling, I like God telling me how to live. The issue in culture today is I tell me how to live. I'm absolute truth. I am sorry. God's word is absolute truth. And we will bow down to it and obey it even if we feel we disagree. He decides it, not you, not me. It's God's truth. So let me show you that Brooklyn Bridge again. How are you building below the waterline? That's why I say this is one of the most powerful environments to get rooted in. And it will take time. I'm going to invite Pastor Brandon and Chris Kidd is going to come up and he's going to share a little bit of his testimony on this environment, the chair, and how it helped him get rooted in life. And I will say, I realize in a room like this, we're all over the map with this chair. Some of us, this isn't even in the picture of our life. For others of us, it's like, I'm struggling, help me. For others of us, we're knocking it out of the ballpark. But I'm going to tell you, the impact of this chair moment is awesome. Remember, this is conversation one. Conversation two, after this interview, will be the mechanics. What can it look like and should it look like? So, I brought you a chair. Thank you this time. He yeah. didn't bring me a chair for service. I totally did. I had to ask for it. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. <laughs> so I've been doing life with Chris for a while, and uh, I'm familiar with uh, his chair life, so to speak, at least what he shared with me. And I just, I know that it's going to be powerful and just wanted to share it with you guys as well. So uh, Chris, just how has the chair impacted you in your life? Yeah, so it impacts everything. We talked about first service, but I'll give you a couple. Uh, the first way is it makes me less of a jerk to people. Okay. Like I didn't hear Sheila say amen. She, she's, she's okay. Been, I, this place like erupted in amens last <laughs> service. I was like, okay, calm down. I get it. 
So you're you're not uh, as much of a jerk when you're in the chair. In the as morning. much of a jerk, yeah. so you are still a jerk, just not as Dang. much. I'm a work in progress. Okay, sorry. Geez. <laughs> you, like, how is it even possible you could be more of a jerk? <laughs> uh, but no, seriously, when you're when you're sitting in the chair and you're reading about who God is and the value that He places on people, mm. you see them differently, and you and you just have the eyes. Jesus' eyes for people, and, and you, it changes how you uh, react. So to let's people. stop there, because that's interesting. So when you're in the chair, it's almost like, because you wear glasses, it's almost like he gave you a different prescription of how to view the world. Awesome, yeah. Cool. That didn't come out for service, <laughs> yeah. so you guys all got to enjoy that. Yeah, that's the, awesome. And then the other way that had a big impact is I, I discovered my purpose mm. in the chair. Mm -hmm. uh, the whole idea of my purpose came from outside the chair, but the details of the purpose were, were given to me in the chair. That's so awesome. So, like, Chris, he's not just getting up, doing his work thing each and every day, kind of doing the daily grind. He's living into God's purpose in his life. And so just wrestle with that question, like, do I even know what God's purpose is in my life, and am I living into it? Like, Chris has experienced that. So we, we hear the benefits of how the chair has impacted your life. What even led up to that point? Like, what was the tipping point? Was what, what led into you having a lifestyle that included the chair? Uh, it was a long process. So I didn't say this first service, so I hope maybe people watch this. Yeah. <laughs> I want to say I'm thankful for this series that hopefully it shortens the, the time that it takes people to get in the chair. I didn't have that. Mm. So for me, I mean, it was just, I remember sitting back there and just this prompting it. There's got to be more. There has to be more than just coming and listening to the service, and there has to be more. So it, it put me on a quest. And during that quest, I just started, you know, looking things up. I read uh, John Eldridge's book, Wild at Heart. I got some good things out of that. And at the, around the same time, I uh, was led to a video on YouTube of a mega pastor, um, a pastor of a mega church in the Chicago area at the time, and it's called Coffee with God. And he was describing how he um, was encouraging some this guy to spend time in the chair. And that guy that he was talking about could have been me. At every excuse, I'm too busy, I don't have time. At the same time, my wife was doing quiet times. So there was a conviction there that I wasn't leading my wife well. And then in the video, uh, the pastor says, you know, um, I, I just happen to make time for things I value. And that hit me. So I was like, all right, I got, I got, to, I got to get a chair. Yeah. So, and that's what it happened, right? He, he talks about um, making it someplace that's comfortable, that you enjoy being. Um, so I have an office. I have a, a window. I, my chair's right by the window. So, um, uh, yeah, so I do that. And then uh, the chair actually led to the circle. And so that took me to the circle. And then in the circle, I found out how to be more efficient in the chair. Mm. So. Are you seeing how it's all intertwined, you know, between the row, the circle, and the chair? Like, they're all connected, and they've all been impactful. I want to back up for just a second. Uh, you mentioned Sheila, your wife. Uh, like, she was doing quiet times, and, like, you just saw that. And, I mean, that was huge right. in your yeah. life. Yeah. So hear that if if you happen to be married like what is the example that you can be towards your spouse mm -hmm. and, and to maybe spur them on 
uh, towards spending, because uh, I'm totally making an assumption here, but, you know, Sheila, she's doing her quiet time, you're doing your quiet time. How has that affected your marriage? Well, I mean, I was a jerk and she wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> that was not the answer I was looking for. <laughs> Uh, I'm making an assumption here. I don't want to put words in your mouth or a thing, but uh, like, are have you guys grown oh, closer since I I got in? I thought you meant before I got. No, in. no, no, no. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no. It's yeah, absolutely. I think honestly, um, I can't speak for her, but I think um, it has given her um, trust in me. You okay. Know? Mm. Because I, she can trust that uh, I'm doing what God wants me to do, mm. and so that gives her some security yeah. and trust and uh, stability, maybe. No, that's good, man. That's good. I, I love that. Mm -hmm. So even in their relationship, uh, you know, they're growing closer to each other. Uh, God has been doing tremendous things in Chris's life because of the chair. You saw some of the, he, I mean, he could sit up here for two more hours, I promise you. I've sat through that, but I, I enjoyed every minute of it. Uh, but he, sh he shared with me so many benefits that he had. I know that was challenging for him to just kind of limit it to those things but even just hearing what led up to that 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 hunger could you elaborate just maybe just a fuzz more uh, about that idea of that hunger building in you I, I guess I mean there's just like I said there there has to be more and so I went on the quest I got in the chair discovered my purpose there was more, and now I'm confident that there's even more. So I'm, I'm pumped and, and ready for the more. I think that'll preach right there. Can we thank Chris for coming up here and sharing? Thanks, Chris. Thank you, thank you. So what does it look like? Conversation number two, the mechanics. What does it look like? I'm going to give you some quick Bible things, but I'm going to show you what I do. And you're probably not going to do what I do because I'm a nerd and you're not. All right. Um, so what, is, what does my quiet time look like? My, my, and I'll discuss. Actually, let me go over here. Why do we call it quiet time? Notice the word I've never used. I've never called it a devotion time. Have you noticed that? I think there are great devotionals out there. One that we advertise right there in our lobby on the information, our daily bread. It's a great devotional. The reason why I don't call the chair time a devotional time is because what devotionals are is someone else's quiet time. I'm talking a quiet time of getting away with you and God, not someone else's interpretation or their quiet time. This is wonderful. I think this ought to supplement this. Absolutely. But the issue is we run to this and, we, and then we, we don't know God's word very well. We need this, you and God's word. So how do I start my quiet time? 5.45 in the morning. Monday through Friday. Saturday I try sleeping in. Sunday back at 5.45. I first and foremost... Light a manly candle. It's manly men, don't worry, don't judge me. I light a candle. I grab my Bible. And I grab, I'm a nerd. Remember, I'm a nerd. I have a whole like trapper keeper zip case full of markers, pens, highlighters. I'm a nerd. 
and I get them and put them all on my ledge of my arm chair. And I grab my Bible, and the first thing I do is three prayers. God, may your word come alive this morning. Jesus, you're invited to hang out in this place with me. And Holy Spirit, be my teacher. And then I get in. I am a guy that reads slower chunks. I love reading, but I can't do multiple chapters a day. I can't. I do heading to heading, sometimes three verses, sometimes 40 verses. It all varies. I read at a much slower pace because I get more out of it if I read slower and slower chunks than I do reading large chunks. That's just me personally. And then I begin to highlight color. I used to not mark on my Bible at all. I despised it. Now you look at my Bible, it's a beautiful rainbow. Now here's how I mark. Every time the word God gets used, I use a blue underline. I blue underline it. Anytime the word Jesus is mentioned, that gets two red lines underneath it. Anytime Holy Spirit is mentioned, it gets two orange lines and it's highlighted yellow. I told you I'm a nerd. Anytime the word faith is used, it gets a blue, I'm sorry, it gets a green square and it's highlighted pink. Anytime the kingdom of God is ever mentioned, I outline it in black in a square and highlight it orange. Any growth in my life, I underline or circle a powerful word, a word in, blue, in green. That's what I do. I'm weird. It's beautiful. I used to hate writing in my Bible. Now I mark it up all the time. I write questions. I write answers. I write, where is this from? Why are you here? I write everything in the margins in a black pen. I, every month, every holiday, every city is underlined in yellow. That's just what I do. And so maybe for 10, 15 minutes, I read this. I get done reading this, and I grab my prayer journal that I have by me. It's a five-year prayer journal, which is really cool, because then I can see like a year ago from this morning what I prayed about and how God has answered. And I wrote down another prayer. And my prayer this morning was about Holy Spirit, what I was reading about Holy Spirit. And my prayer was, Holy Spirit, fill me, saturate me, guide me. May you burn within me. Amen. And then I crank up worship music. I mean, my son just nodded yes. It's loud, isn't it? I, I have hearing issues now. And I crank it up and I begin my prayer. And I pray for things. I pray for you all. I pray for the church. I pray for my family. I pray for the gifts of the spirit that would be used. I pray for empowering in my life. I pray for my neighbors. I pray for um, friends that are lost also or need healing. I pray for those things. And then you know what I do after that, after my prayer time? Worship music's still blaring. I grab my laptop out. Ryan, I thought you throw away technology. I do. I grab my laptop out, and I have Bible software on my laptop. I reread what I read first in my paper Bible. I reread it two times. I read it in the same illustration or translation that I read the first time, and then I read it in another one. So I read my scripture three times in the morning because I'm going to miss something. I know I am. And then I read two different commentaries that's we can talk about that at another time. But then I end in more worship music. That takes me about 45 minutes to an hour in my morning. Now, some of you are like, oh, my gosh, Ryan, I can never do that. What does 10 minutes look like? Just for you. 
What does 10 minutes look like just reading God's word? I'm going to give you quickly the mechanics, and we're, we're closing here. We're closing here. I'm going to give you two quick mechanics of a Bible study that you can do, and you can put it to practice. Number one, it's called SOAP. Say it with me. It's called Super easy. Ready? Here's what it stands for. You can grab any notebook, journal, and do this. All you have to do is jump into Scripture, write out Scripture. What verse stood out to you? What was it? Maybe you're reading 40 verses, but there were two that you're like, wow, that's good, and I'm struggling with that. Write out on a notebook the Scripture that jumped out to you. Then write your observation. Why did it? What's in that verse? What's not in that verse? Why, why, what, there's obviously a prompting to sit there and go, I like this scripture, so what did you observe about that scripture? Now the A is now application. How are you going to live this out now in your life? How are you going to apply it every single day? Because obviously the Lord is pointing you to something that is jumping out to you, and then P, pray for it. Now pray for it in your life. Here's another one. The second one, it's called the HEAR method. Very similar to soap, almost identical. But the here method is this, highlight. What's the highlight of what you read? Name it. You read 10 verses this morning for 10 minutes. What's the highlight? What was, what is it that jumped out to you? Explain it. Why this verse? Explain why. A is apply. How am I going to live it out? And R is respond. What is it going to look like for you to respond and asking God to guide you? These are three very simple, simple, basic Bible study methods that you can do every single day. And it may take you 10, 15 minutes. That's it. And let me, I'm going to give you even a more simpler one. And this is actually what I tend to use the most. I ask two questions, and that's it. The two questions I ask every time I read is, what is Holy Spirit saying to me? Reveal something. And then the other question is, what am I going to do about it? Two simple questions. Because all my observations and, and um, explanations are all written in my Bible. So then I ask the question, what is Holy Spirit saying to me? What am I going to do about it? Simple. But what does it look like to start somewhere? Are you building below the waterline? Because life will throw curveballs and the enemy of your, of your soul is after you. Are you building below the waterline? As I close this whole series, I need, to, I need you to wrestle with this question. What is going to be the basis for how I live my life? You will be rooted in something in life. And you will be rooted in these two things. Either you will be rooted in the world or the word. You choose. You choose. One of these will have your heart. And my prayer is the prayer that the psalmist wrote in Psalm 119 for all of you. And this is what he says. The psalmist writes this. I am lovesick with yearnings for more of your salvation. For my heart is entwined with your word. That's my prayer for you. That your heart, that you would come here and say, I so enjoy these times with you, God. And as you get into your Bible and open up, and I'm going to tell you, don't, don't start in Leviticus. That will confuse the snot out of you. All right? Don't start there. I highly encourage you, start in Matthew or Mark or Luke and John. Start with the life of Jesus Christ, your Savior. 
Start there and get to know him. But as you dig into God's word, don't just read the Bible. Let the Bible read you. It's a change here. Because if you and I just get into these environments because I, I think I need it, and we just read, it'll become a checklist. Let the Bible read you. Wow. What does it mean when it says, this is my, when Jesus says, this is the blood of my covenant which is poured out for many? Wow, Jesus, I've taken your, your sacrifice for granted, and I'm sorry for that. And you need to sit there and let the Bible read you. Because remember, the ultimate purpose is what, can we just say it one more time together for the last time in this series? The ultimate purpose is, can you, you're going to have to click the slide because this beautiful thing isn't working. Can you click the slide? It's to, let's say it one more time, it's to be like Jesus. And when you and I are rooted in these three powerful environments, the row, the circle, the chair, we'll begin to be like Jesus to live out the vision of this church. And if you can go to the next slide, we'll start living like him and sharing his love. And that's what this world needs. I don't know about you, but there's probably times where you feel dry, where you feel alone, where you feel, Ryan, I've been doing this, but there's just nothing there. You know what I love about the chair moments in my life? is this is where Holy Spirit begins to really speak to me and begins to revive my soul. The passion's back. The yearning's back. And I'm just ready, God. I'm ready to storm the gates of hell with a squirt gun right now because I got my passion back. I think for a lot of you, you may be dry. I think that's one of the reasons why we don't go here. It's because we're spiritually dry. Man, I'm ready for you to get on fire again for Jesus Christ, who saved your butt and my butt. He didn't have to, but he took and looked at your brokenness and says, yeah, come to me. I died and I paid a heavy price for you and for me. I paid a heavenly price for you to be my son and my daughter. Man, let's come and let our dry bones come alive again. But we got to get rooted in environments that grow us and shape us each and every day. The word will shape you or the world will shape you. Oh, I pray that we are people of God's word and only not people of the world. We are in the world, but not of the world. And we will influence the world because you and I have been rooted in Jesus Christ. Man, I pray that your dry bones will come alive. So as we close, I'm going to ask you to stand right now. Go ahead and stand. We introduced this song this month. It's called Rattle. And I pray that you would feel your dry bones rattling. That Holy Spirit would come and land on your heart, tug you, soften you, say, it's time to wake up, child. There's more to this life. So let's worship team together.